Hey friends, welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm happy that you can join me today in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs as we discuss photography, business, and oh yeah, that sometimes messy thing that we call life. This podcast is brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. All right, Boca Podcast listeners, thanks so much for joining us uh, for yet another episode. I'm here with a new friend of mine, Carrie Murray. Thank you so much, Carrie, for making time for the Boca Podcast. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. And we're going to dive into um, an interesting conversation as we get into the podcast today about getting started in the wedding photography business. This is not something that we've spent a lot of time on, and I'm interested in getting into this just because it's a relevant topic, even for those who've been in the industry for a while, to hear the perspective of a newer photographer. Uh, But I'm also interested just because you seem like quite the fascinating personality, Carrie, and I don't normally do this, but you've you've got a a pretty great uh, bio or intro on your website. So I'm just going to read this before we get into everything. Uh, It says, I grew up in New Zealand and spent many years in sunny Australia before moving to the UK and meeting my wife. I've now lived in the UK for over 13 years, currently in the fantastic city of Bristol with my wife and two-year-old daughter in our little Victorian terrace house. I'm 30-something, late, late, late 30s, if you must know, and enjoy keeping fit, eating healthy, and hang on, who am I kidding? I try to keep fit and to make the very occasional attempt to eat healthy. I run as much as I can, not very far and not often enough. Love good food and drink and adore travel, especially with my family. Uh, I'm already interested. Uh, I'm already <laughs> my, my attention is captured. Uh, tell us a little bit more about your family just to, to get us started. Sure. So, uh, yeah, I have a really small family. Uh, it's just me, my wife, and and my two year old daughter. We we uh, yeah we we're, we're together pretty much all the time. And you know, it's uh, well, being a new dad, I still consider myself a new dad two and a half years down the track. Sure, it's it's just a constant learning process, right? I mean, you know, you've got your own children. Yeah, it's been it's been a pretty much a whirlwind for the last. I think we're starting. There's some kind of semblance of, uh, you know, structure and normality. I'm sure that'll be short-lived. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's great, you know. <laughs> well, I, what I do remember about the, the two-year-old milestone, if you will, especially with my son, I, when, I, when, I, when Austin was born, actually, I was only 22 at the time. And needless to say, I not only lacked perspective just about life in general, uh, but I also lacked uh, a significant amount of patience. And so when he got to about the two-year-old mark, and it was even, I guess it started before that, he began to not only have conversation, but even in kind of an adult level, his, his understanding about how to interact and even empathize with an adult was surprising at that age. But that mile, I say milestone because I, that began a time in his life where I could actually engage with him. Whereas before it was like this, you know, screaming, crying, and you're kind of at a loss as to how to handle a situation. Um, now you could actually have a conversation that was at least somewhat logical. <laughs> have you found that with your daughter? Oh, definitely. Definitely. I think now is kind of maybe even, uh, dare I say it, the best time sure. that, that we've had so far in, yeah. in her life because she is so interactive and she's, you know, she's fully forming sentences and really conversing with us on a, you know, pretty, uh, on a pretty advanced level. And sure. so we can kind of understand each other. And I, I think it's really relevant what you say about the empathy. Um, I can really see her forming this sort of emotional maturity as she as she grows, you know, and she's kind of trying to figure out what these emotions are that she's getting hit with all the time. So that's a really interesting process to watch, but it's also a big responsibility to try and help her kind of navigate 
all of those new things that she's encountering. So, um, so it's great. And it's great to, to be able to help her, but it also is kind of a reminder of, um, you know, for me, the kind of the, the, the growth that I want to go through and the things that I want to be doing. And, you know, my wife and I will often say to each other, you know, we should be more like, uh, like Edith, our daughter, we should be more like Edie, just in terms of her ability to empathize and her kind of kindness and generosity of spirit, which is something that we both strive for. I, you know, and, and I have a lot of respect for that uh, because it was something I was actually going to touch on. One of the biggest lessons that, that I've learned as a parent, my kids are now 16 and 13, uh, and I'm continuing to learn and reminded of the significance of kind of setting ego aside and being willing to to open to them and to learn from them, even from a two-year-old. It, it really is fascinating how much you can learn, uh, if nothing else, just in kind of the mirroring process. And you see them mirror your behavior and you're reminded that maybe you need to, to tone down the, uh, <laughs> the, the anger in response to their behavior or that, you know, to be more empathetic as you were talking about. Um, to to even just to be a little bit more interested and excited about the the little things in life, and it, it's just a it, it was it's been a wonderful and, and certainly a very humbling process for me, but a very educational one. I've learned a lot from my kids, and I love that you and your wife have already kind of prioritized that and that you discussed that amongst yourselves. I think that's beautiful. We do, we do, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, it does mean that we often need to kind of keep ourselves in check as well, right? Because as an adult, you get. Well, you get a lot of bad habits. And so, (laughs) you know, it's like this mirroring that you mentioned, you know, we've got this mirror held up to us all the time and it's just exposing all these bad habits that we have that we want to work on. So I guess you could see that as a good thing as well. It it is a good thing. Um, I may have mentioned this before in the podcast, uh, but a number of years ago, and uh, again, I I spoke to my immaturity. This was certainly a stage in which I was still, I guess, relatively young and, and learning, immature certainly. But um, I, I just, honestly, I struggled with my temper. And I could certainly point to, to where some of that came from. But regardless, I was through that process at least uh, transparent with my kids. My son in particular, I think at the time was maybe seven, six or seven. And I got upset one day in response to something that I think he did or maybe Addison did. And uh, I came back to them or to him and said, hey, look, you know what? I'm sorry. I lost my temper. I shouldn't raise my voice at you just having a rough day. But, you know, that's certainly not an excuse. And, and I apologize. And, and I did this two or three times. And, and, and then one day I got upset and, and he, he said, Dad, are you having a bad day? <laughs> and so he was already seeing the pattern of dad has a bad day and, and then and then he gets uh, upset a little bit more easily. And, and I'd like to think that I've addressed that tendency a sense. This is probably, well, this has been about 10 years ago. But it, to your point again, that the significance of mirroring, being reminded of our behavior and the fact that somebody's watching and more importantly, um, our child is watching and they're actually learning from us. It really is. It's a humbling process, but it's an absolutely enlightening process and a, and a beautiful one at that. So I appreciate your transparency and sharing a little bit about that. Um, and, and really, this is a very relevant question. We normally start the podcast uh, with something that we call our technique for time. And, and we talk a little bit about how you spend your free time. I know it's a lot of that centers around your family, but Talk to us a little bit about amidst having a full-time job, also starting a photography business. How do you create time for yourself, for your family? Is there a particular workflow tip that you might be able to share with us? Uh, you know what? I wish there was. And I, I, if there's anyone out there who's got that, then please let me know because I'm still, try- <laughs> I'm still trying to get there. Um, I think for me, though, what I try and do is I try and kind of mentally schedule 
um, blocks of purpose to my time. So whether that's family time or whether that's, um, you know, exercise time or work time or just me time, um, I try and kind of block that out of my mind as to when that might be every day. So, you know, for me, I think if I'm going to do something that's super important, super work-based, I kind of mentally, I, my go-to is the morning time is that's when I want to do that. Um, and it doesn't matter what that is. So that could be comprised a number of different tasks and the tasks are kind of irrelevant. It's more about the block of time that needs to be dedicated to that specific thing. Um, so if I'm having family time, that is kind of blocked out and that's, that's family time and that has a start and a finish. And it doesn't matter when or what we're doing during that time. Um, it's just a case that I've kind of mentally put that aside. And that really helps kind of keep me on track, but it helps me focus on the thing that I'm doing at the time. That helps me kind of, I, I suppose, make that time a little bit more valuable if, if, if you can kind of imagine that, you know, in terms of work time, if I can just block that out and I can focus on what I need to focus on without too many distractions, then I find that that time can be a lot more productive. And in fact, sometimes you can fit a lot more into that time than, than you might normally otherwise do if you're trying to, you know, do a thousand and one different things and balance family with home, with errands, with other stuff at the same time. Yeah, it's it's very very true, and and uh, I, again, I love that this has been a theme on the podcast for some time now. The significance of blocking time, setting it aside, being very intentional in, in the use of that time, and then ultimately what you're speaking to the significance of of presence. And man, this is it's a good reminder for me. Even as much as I talk about this and emphasize this and encourage photographers to to live uh, in the moment, um, it's something that I still need to be reminded of as well. And and you really can. I think I think there is something to being able to actually truly focus on what you're doing in the moment. This is not just for the sake of work, but also for, as you pointed out, family, uh, for your kids, your significant other, uh, and I. It's it's man, our kids. I think in particular, speaking of the fact that they, you know we we kind of learn from them. They they can see when we are truly present with them and when we're not, uh, and they may not say anything about it, but they're they're very intuitive and they can read us. And even if it's a slight glance at the phone or the tendency to say kind of mm-hmm, mm-hmm, versus actually engaging uh, in a response to them that is somewhat intellectual in nature, uh, a tendency to, to get lazy in conversation, they can pick up on those things. If we're not present, it's easy to go that direction. And so I, I love that you are intentional in the use of your time and really giving focus to that. Well, I, I try. Um, but what I have to point out is it doesn't always work that way. So, um, you know, that's the attempt. And I think it's probably an ongoing thing that's just going to be a challenge, you know, forever, really, because we can't kind of turn off the demand for for our time and our attention. So, you know, if I'm if I'm playing with my daughter and my phone goes off, then I'm kind of torn between, oh, shall I just have a look and see what that thing is? Or shall I just continue being focused in this moment with, with my family? And that's sometimes tough. And it's really easy to get kind of very relaxed about it to the point where you, you're mixing everything at once. And, you know, it's funny you mentioned that um, kids are attuned to it. My daughter does pick up on it. She knows when I'm on my phone. She knows if I'm not paying attention. And she will make efforts very actively to gain my attention. And it's that point I know that I can, you know, I need to switch on. I need to dive into that. Yeah. I, I, and this is such a great reminder. Again, I appreciate you kind of sharing and, and, and again, your vulnerability and openness and sharing your personal experience with us. Uh, in that effort to block off time, to create time, not only for work, but then also for family, uh, my, my assumption based on what you're, you're saying so far is that a lot of that, that so-called free time is spent with family. What do you all like to do together? How do you spend time together? 
my daughter's of an age where she just loved parks. Any kind of park, if it has swings and slides, she is into it. So we spend a lot of time just going around. They have a ton of great parks in the city that we live in. So we can kind of go around and, and check out all of those. And she has some of her favorites. So we spend a lot of time going to the parks. But we, you know, we love we love nature, really. We, we love going out into the countryside and, um, you know, going on walks or going to the seaside. And we love hanging out at the beach. So, you know, there's a ton of stuff that we love to do, particularly based around kind of travel and getting away and getting out of the city and, and generally just kind of spending that quality time together. Yeah, it's it's incredible just to get out. I This past weekend, I actually had the opportunity to rent a motorcycle, go with my girlfriend and, and some other friends and get away kind of into the mountains of Tennessee for a little bit. And at one point in time, we, we parked the bikes and went hiking. And there is there is just something about getting away from city life or even small town life, just getting out in nature, walking alongside a creek, hearing the birds, you know, the, even, even the sound of your feet as you're um, stepping on that dirt and, and moving through the trees. You hear the, the wind blowing through the trees. It's, it's such a beautiful experience and, and you get to be in touch with life in, in just a different way. And I think it's a good mental break for us, especially as creatives too, kind of clearing our head and giving ourselves space to be creative again. Yeah. Yeah. It's terrific. And, uh, you know, that's something that we'll kind of do pretty much most weekends um, and some of the weekdays recently as well. We've had some great weather in the UK these these last kind of maybe three or four weeks and uh, we've just been taking full advantage of it. So so that's what we like to do. And besides that, I think travel is, is a big thing for us, you know, getting sort of out and further afield is something that my wife and I love to do before we had children. And, and now that we've got our little one i think she's just kind of somehow i don't know we've kind of passed this genetically onto her but she's always asking when we're going on our next holiday <laughs> i love it i love that that you're kind of building that habit in her too because uh, there is something to be said for travel especially when it comes to developing our children's perspective and really all of our perspective for that matter it's something that i've made a habit of particularly in the last few years with my kids taking them on at least one big adventure every year where we go somewhere that they haven't been before they have a new experience and hopefully gain a little bit of perspective and and that's really really powerful tell us something totally random maybe that most people wouldn't know about you uh so most people <laughs> most people besides my closest friends won't know that i used to be a professional dj really um, yeah it was one of my first jobs and you know it was kind of my big ambition at the time and this is this is the kind of the mid sort of 90s when i was when i was doing this and yeah. so yeah i was a professional club dj for a while and is that something that you miss i mean do you do you miss that that scene and that energy yeah yeah, a little bit, a little bit. So I was around that scene for a long time and it's, yeah, I mean, it's something that, that, uh, I don't know if I miss it as such. Cause I, 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 you know, I'm old enough now to kind of, I, I spent my time and I did my, did my thing. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but, but yeah, it was a great time in my life and, you know, the whole kind of club scene and just being around people really, there's a, you know, there's a few similarities. I'm not going to say many, but there's a few similarities to the kind of photography work that, that I like to do, which is really to be engaged with people in moments. And I think it, it's sort of similar in the kind of DJing world because you're constantly trying to either create a moment or be in a moment with, with a group of people. And so there's some similarity there for me. And I was actually kind of curious about that. Do you, what would you say is the biggest takeaway or maybe even a couple of takeaways from that experience, whether it's how you now interact with people, you kind of alluded to that or some other aspect of that experience that you're able to apply to life or business now? I, I think it's about engaging. 
So, mm. you know, it's, it's really easy as, you know, as either a DJ or a photographer to kind of just observe and to observe very quietly and from a distance. And I suppose for me, um, what I like just as a, as a kind of personality is to engage with other people and to learn about other people and to kind of converse and, and sort of, you know, participate with others in a, in a group environment. So whether that's DJing or, or photography, I think the biggest thing for me has been um, to kind of create those, they're almost micro relationships in a way yeah you know these kind of very short little connections that you can make with people in a very quick space of time that's really interesting i you know honestly that has been a weakness of mine i i've never I, for the most part anyway i should say I've, I've become more comfortable with it i guess as of late but uh, for the longest time i had a hard hard experience with going to even like a party scene or something you go to a photography event and maybe there's 100 people in a room and then there's loud music playing and the notion of small talk to me was just not something that I really got. I wasn't very good at. I I have a tendency of wanting to go deep in conversation. This kind of one-on-one conversation like you and I are having right now is something I really enjoy. But of course we can we can do that because we can actually hear each other. So I, yeah. I'm kind of curious in that in that club scene, what what enabled you to be able to engage with somebody? Like you're saying that kind of micro interaction or micro relationship yeah. uh, in a way that was engaging. Well, um, I, I think it's I think it's less your traditional kind of engagement that you might think of when we think of things like networking events, um, because of course, as a as a you know in a club environment as a DJ, you're kind of you're separated by virtue of kind of proximity, but also because of the thing that you're doing, you're not really an active participant. But but you can be in a way because you know essentially what you're doing is you're doing everything through through music. So it might be that you're playing a record that that somebody knows or that a group of people are really familiar with, and they will then engage with you because of that, and you can kind of have this. Sort of mini, uh, I won't say relationship because that's probably too 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 great a word for it. But um, you can have this interaction um, that's kind of through the music, but it's kind of personal as well because it's almost a secret. You know, if you can have a a, a sly look with somebody or a kind of knowing glance, yes. and, and that tell, and that can tell you a lot. And so these kind of things, you know, even on a kind of tiny tiny scale, ha- help create that personal connection. I think. So I'm, we're going to actually dive into this uh, in more detail here in just a bit, kind of get into the, the background of your photography business, but then also what you're going through now as a relatively new photographer trying to build your business up. But for those who may not even have time to listen to the complete episode today, I want to give them something to walk away with. And I'm curious what one of the toughest lessons is that you've learned so far as a business owner. Sure. So I, I think the uh, the big lesson really for me is that this is definitely going to be hard work and it's probably going to be harder work than any of the other jobs that I've ever had. And I think that's because, you know, you, you need to put a lot of yourself into it. There's mm. no one waiting, you know, to give you a paycheck at the end of the month. This is really about putting everything that you can, both from a skill perspective, from a time perspective, and also I think a little bit from an emotional perspective as well, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I think that's that's the big kind of, I, I don't know if it's a lesson yet, but it's definitely a realization that this is going to be something that's going to require a lot of sustained energy um, to make work. And so my, I'd naturally go at this point to a thought, which is that, you know, in our culture these days, whether it's American culture or British culture or otherwise, uh, I think there's a tendency toward, well, I'll speak for American culture anyway, there's a tendency toward wanting to go, not necessarily the easy way, but at least the more comfortable way. And when you know up front, I mean, as, as you're just now building your photography business and, and you see a road ahead of you that may not be the easiest, 
what is the motivation that enables you to kind of trump that that feeling to overcome that for the sake of kind of some long-term goal what is that that you're reaching toward so so yeah so that's a terrific question i i think for me it's really about i suppose being the master of my own time to some extent and my own kind of um career so you know the, the easy option would be to not kind of embark on this sort of journey and to to remain in a kind of corporate job and that's relatively stable and I have a whole kind of you know almost 20 years worth of experience in that but for for me to live the kind of lifestyle that I want I know that that's not going to come from a 9 to 5 in an office yeah I know that that needs to happen some other way and I need to be able to kind of work in a, in a way which allows me to have the kind of quality home life that that I want. And so that's really my motivation is to be able to kind of decide, you know, is this the day I'm going to do uh, a huge edit job or is this the day that I'm going to go and, you know, check out a wedding fair or is this the day that I'm going to go and spend with my family? Um, and that's something that I really want the flexibility to be able to do. So, you know, for me, that's that's kind of a key motivating factor. And, and, and also I think there's something about the kind of construct of working in a sort of office uh, environment nine to five that is somehow and it's kind of a weird thing to say because I've spent you know a huge chunk of my life doing that but it's almost incompatible with how I want to live as a human being yes so for me it's about you know creating the kind of life that I really desire yeah you know at this uh, I, I love that you make this point about the construct this is something that has been I, I've I think that the idea itself has been even more significant to me, even in just the last less than a week. I, I spoke about the the weekend trip that I had just a few days ago, and you know the freedom that I experienced in that. Of course, getting to do something that I enjoy and riding a motorcycle and spending time with one of my favorite people, my girlfriend, and um, and good friends as well. It was just a it was a wonderful experience and a reminder of what I want out of life. And you look around you know, at the world and, and whether it's corporate life or, you know, I was, uh, I, I kind of woke up this morning to some news about Facebook stock dropping 20%. And, um, and I only bring this up because it was just mind blowing to me. You're talking about the construct, but I'll read this. I think this may have been a New York Times article or maybe a Bloomberg. I'm not sure, but they said that, that the revenue increased 42%. To 13.2 billion, missing the 13.3 billion Wall Street consensus, and this is why the stock, the Facebook stock, dropped 20 percent. Like this is what the the world is making a big deal about, and uh, I'm just like, you know, that that's a it's a game. It is a construct, and for me, I I want to step away from from that mindset, uh, maybe even that approach to business and. Uh, I have a kind of a bit what I refer to as a big picture view, the things that I'm reaching toward that I'm looking to to live out for the sake of, um, well, my own emotional health, but also for the sake of my family. And, uh, and it doesn't involve that, that construct. And um, so I love that you're very clear about what you're working toward, and that that ultimate goal is bigger than the temporary uncomfort, which is this process of starting a business. And we're going to delve into what that looks like for you here in just a little bit. But talk to us a little bit about your photography business and kind of the brand position that you've established thus far. What sets you apart from your local competition? Sure. So I, I think this is still, you know, because I'm so early on in this in this um, in this process in this journey, this is still very much a kind of work in progress. But I think for me, you know, I I call myself a wedding photojournalist. Um, I think that kind of really adequately describes the sort of approach that I take, um, which is really about you know taking 
you know, natural, unstaged, uh, kind of authentic photographs of couples to, you know, to really demonstrate their story. Um, and that could be via, you know, engagement shoots, couple shoots, family shoots or, or wedding shoots. And, you know, for me, it's really about telling that story in a, in a, in a really authentic way, which um, I, I hope will be the thing that distinguishes me from my competitors. But, um, you know, I suppose when I'm thinking about my competitors, actually, um, you know, there's some great photographers out there, right? So am I going to be the best photographer out of this huge group of, of really talented individuals? Well, I'm probably not. So that's not necessarily something that I'm trying to achieve. What I am trying to achieve is I, I'm trying to achieve um, a level of consistency and a kind of, I, I suppose, a style which really speaks to what I'm trying to show um, and, and hopefully speaks to, to, you know, to the couples that I'm working with, but also to others as well. And do you find that that uh, in your local market in particular, that that storytelling approach to wedding photography is is something that's not as common? I, I certainly experienced that early on in my wedding photography career in the small Chattanooga, Tennessee market where I live. Uh, it was it was relatively easy to set ourselves apart by offering a what we were calling at the time a contemporary style of wedding photography, but it was much more journalistic in nature and a lot more use of black and white imagery, for example, um, do you find that you have a great opportunity to kind of distinguish yourself because that's no, not so commonplace uh, in your market? Yeah, I think so. I, I think like um, probably much like some of the markets that you've been exposed to as well there in the States, um, you know, there, there is a lot of the very traditional, um, very kind of, you know, posed, very beautiful wedding ph- uh, photographers out there sure. uh, and styles. Um, but I think it's becoming more popular you know, especially now with the kind of, you know, the invention of, you know, things like Instagram, where, you know, candid shots are um, much more popular and very, very high quality candids that you would get from a professional are, um, uh, you know, becoming more popular. And that style generally is becoming something that I think people want to see more of. So, so yeah, there's definitely a mix at the moment, certainly within my local market, um, between the kind of very, very traditional and, and so more kind of documentary styles. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, you speak to the significance of candid imagery that comes from professionals, and what what comes to mind when you say that is the intuition that a photographer develops as they photograph more and more. They know how to look for those the, kind of the in between moments, to borrow a cliche phrase, but that you know that split second expression that comes across a bride's face when she glances at her new husband or maybe you know the, the father of the bride, the way that he's looking at the bride as, as they're having their first dance, whatever it might be, but those little split second moments, you develop the ability to be able to capture those things and it's reality. And I think people more and more appreciate reality. You talk about Instagram. They, they appreciate the, the experience of being able to see who that person is behind the perfectly posed image. And we as professional photographers have the opportunity to be able to give that to them. So that's really powerful. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I think one of the things that I would say to my couples is um, that I I kind of want to show them all those moments of the day that they, that they missed out on, Yeah. you know, um, because, you know, when you're getting married, that is a whirlwind thing and it is over really quick, even though it can be a very long day, you know, your recollection is sometimes a little bit hazy because you're trying to speak to, you know, sometimes a hundred or 150 different people and, you know, make connections with them and try and enjoy yourself as well. And so there's lots of stuff that you, that you might miss out on. And it's those sort of small moments and those little interactions, those little, those glances and those looks that are really the thing that I, I kind of focus on and want to bring out. Oh yeah. It's so much fun to capture that kind of thing. And I, 
still one of my favorite things was photographing an engagement session where I had the opportunity to be able to get that kind of really raw emotional interaction between the couple. It's such a beautiful thing. And uh, I think we have a wonderful privilege and opportunity as photographers to be able to, to share that, certainly with our clients, but the world at large. It's, it's a wonderful, wonderful privilege. Uh, I'm curious, as you're developing your photography business, what is the, the thing that, that you enjoy most when it comes to gear? I mean, do you have a particular camera that you're using that you just love or maybe a, a lens or an accessory or of some kind? What's, what's your favorite? Yeah, so uh, so I'm I'm shooting Nikon, um, and I shoot with a D750, yeah. um, which which I find just fantastic. Um, I have no complaints a, a, about that camera at all. And I, I suppose in terms of you know lenses, I, I'm a big fan of portrait lenses, and kind of 85, the yes. 85 1.4 is just such a fantastic piece of glass and super versatile you know super quick as well so uh you know you can deal with some great low light situations with that but i think for me just the kind of look that you get from that and the rendering that you get is is fantastic so i think if i was to choose my favorite just small pieces of kit then that would be that would be it i could i could probably shoot a whole wedding with an 85 it would be tough at times but i think that would just be perfect Oh, I, I hear a wonderful challenge ahead of you to do just that. I yeah. think that would be really right. incredible. But that <laughs> that lens too, the, one of the wonderful things about it, aside from the beautiful imagery that you can capture from it, is that it's relatively inexpensive too. And for a photographer who's who is just getting started, maybe doesn't even want to invest or have the money to invest very much in equipment, you can get just stunning, stunning imagery from this lens, which at least in US dollars, I think is around the four four fifty mark. Yeah, I think I think it's slightly more expensive uh, here in the UK, but but for sure, it, I think in terms of affordability, it's it's really up there. And you know, for me, it's 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 about making the most of the kind of equipment that you can get. Right, so I'm not going to have ten different lenses because. Yeah frankly i'm not at the point where i can do that so um for me it's about knowing what i can get out of the stuff that i have i love it i love it well i want to get back to, to our earlier conversation we were talking about the struggles of of getting started in photography or more specifically wedding photography and leading up to our conversation you were really upfront with me about how real that that struggle is and you specified a number of things that um, are challenges for you one of the things was young family commitments uh, you alluded to your young family earlier, and uh, I think it's a beautiful thing that you're putting so much priority on family, but of course, the reality of having family and then trying to start a business at the same time can be quite a struggle. Uh, work, you still have a full-time job, a corporate job, mortgage, uh, trying to figure out how to pay the bills ultimately, and then getting booked, uh, getting new business, getting clients. And so I thought it would make sense then for us to just kind of break each of those down today. And I'd love to hear from you about your experience with each that the challenge innate, innate to each of those, but then also what you're learning about how to overcome those challenges. So if you don't mind, maybe we can just start, we can go back to family and talk about uh, this notion of young family commitments and how that relates to starting your photography business. Sure. Yeah. Well, you know, I think like I said before, everything is a balancing act, you know, and it's, well, it's actually even worse than that. It's a juggling act. Yeah. And so it is trying to dedicate those, those sections and those blocks of time in the right way. And definitely trying to get a business off the ground is a huge, huge challenge for me. I think even without the challenge of, of trying to do that, um, it can be difficult at times to balance work and home life. But I think uh, what I try and be aware of is, is dead time. So what I mean by that is time where I'm not doing anything, but I'm not not doing anything because I just need to relax. I'm not doing anything because I'm just being lazy or just where I have time and it's just not being used very productively. So 
sometimes you just need to sit on the sofa, right? But um, this for me, this kind of concept of dead time where I could be doing something productive is where I need to fill that because that's the time that I have available to me. Uh, that's going to be the thing that is is going to help me get this business off the ground. So I need to be, you know, that's when I need to be approaching suppliers, approaching venues, you know, tr- trying to converse and talk to inquiries coming in and, and generate new inquiries as well. So, you know, for me, this concept of sort of dead time, and it might be, you know, in the evening, when you know dinner's done and my daughter's in bed and everything's quiet and I have maybe an hour or two where I could just hang out and not do very much or I could be investing that time and and that's the time I think for me that's that's what I have available so I need to use that this is really interesting to me and first of all I think the thing that comes to mind is how do you I mean if if you've got a full-time job you've got family to to allocate time to how do you balance the the utilization of that so-called dead time for the sake of your business with also making sure that you don't get burnt out. I mean, this kind of ties into to my questions too about how you manage a full-time job, but it, have you found a good, I, I love that the distinction you made between balance and, and really juggling being a more accurate word, but have you found a good way to kind of juggle that and make sure that you don't burn yourself out in the process? Yeah, I, well, I don't know if it's that I've found a good way to do it, but I think my natural tendency is that I, I'm I'm a sofa guy, right? So I, I love to be on the sofa and I love to watch TV. So <laughs> that, that, that's kind of that's kind of my happy place. Yeah. Um, so so I don't have a problem with 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 doing that, but I'm also super aware of of stuff that is going to um, burn me out. So I'm kind of hyper aware of you know if I'm if I'm you know working late on some uh, business stuff, I know when my time is becoming really counterproductive. So my productivity just goes through the floor in the evening. Past about nine o'clock at night, uh, I'm, I'm not really any good. So I, ne- I know that by nine o'clock, I need to have done what I want to do. So that's kind of my cutoff really is, is that I need you know a little bit of downtime in the night. So in the evenings, I'll have maybe an hour or two uh, where I can just chill out, relax, kind of get my thoughts together for what's going to happen the next day. Yeah. But um, I know if I need to do something, I can kind of sort of be very aware of that threshold. So I, I tend not to be a burnout guy. I'm I'm not the guy that you know does the sort of six a.m. and then finishes at midnight every day for two weeks <laughs> and, and then and then crashes out. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm I'm a little bit more naturally. I wouldn't say lazy, but I'm naturally more relaxed in, in that regard. So I think burnout for me is is less likely. But what what is more likely because of that is that I'm not investing enough of the time that I need to invest in the things that I wanted to achieve. Hmm. Well, I, I don't think that, that we evolved to be human beings who are working 6 a.m. to midnight. And, and I, I would like to think that that's the anomaly. I, I, yeah. I wouldn't call you lazy for not wanting to live that lifestyle. <laughs> uh, but I'm, I'm curious, when you talk about finding that dead time, what, how many hours would you say that you're able to pull from your week amidst work and family to be able to allocate to your business, just, just on average, if you would take a guess? Sure. So, so on average, I'm what I'm trying to do is dedicate about ten hours a week, and I'm, I'm what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to figure out whether and that is enough, or whether I need more. So at the moment, it's it's around about ten hours a week. And then with within that, you talked earlier about the way that you're spending that time, whether it's reaching out to vendors or connecting with venues. What percentage of your time, if you don't mind breaking that down, what how do you sure. what percentage of those ten hours are you are you allocating to those various activities? So I would say that 50% of that is kind of what I would call research, which sometimes drifts into 
not very productive time. Um, <laughs> but, you know, because research can just be consumption. Yeah, right? Correct. Like, yeah. I, I might just find myself for an hour just checking out someone's Instagram feed. Right. And that's that's not productive time. <laughs> so, you know, within within that kind of research uh, bracket, I need to make sure that I'm doing the things that qualify as being research-based and, and making that time productive. So I think 50% of it is probably research-based because for me, it's about finding the right suppliers, connecting with other wedding photographers in the local community or, or you know, connecting with other suppliers. And then the other 50% is, you know, things like managing social feeds, you know, replying to inquiries, um, chasing up leads, that kind of stuff. Okay, that's that's interesting. Yeah, it, it's funny that you mentioned research because that's actually, I have Saturdays for me or my kind of allocated day for research. But I, I love the, the fact that you point out that unless we're specific with that notion of research, um, it is easy to get carried away. And that really plays on a theme that, that we certainly have emphasized here on the Book of Podcasts, which is the importance of being intentional. We even talked about it earlier, knowing exactly what it is that we're working for and letting those goals drive what we do on a day-to-day basis. I think that's so important. But let's let's jump from family then to work, you know, managing, kind of sure. balancing your time with, with family, with work. You've talked about how you spend, and I love that you have a very specific number in mind, those 10 hours a week. But you're talking about 10 hours in addition to, you know, whatever it might be, 30, 40 hours at a full-time job. And I'm curious how you're balancing the energy and the, the mental resources for your corporate job versus that with your photography business. Yeah, it, that, that's very tough. That's very, very tough. And I, I think, you know, the one thing to be aware of for me that's that's been um, key is that because I'm trying to do two things at once, I'm trying to start a business as well as, um, you know, support and do a, do a, do a good job in my, in my regular life. Um, I need to be able to make sure that my time isn't being split or cut up to such an extent that I'm sacrificing one over the other. So that, that's that's really key for me because you know my my full time job is the thing that keeps the lights on, right? And and I need the lights on, so uh, <laughs> I, 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 need, I need I need to make sure I'm doing a good job. So what I do is you know I'll I'll, I'll sometimes trade off an hour here or there if I need to respond to something during my working day. Um, I've been very fortunate in the over the last few weeks I've had a kind of break in between work, so I've been able to kind of invest a lot of that time back into my photography business, but. On the whole, I think, you know, it is it is a struggle. It is difficult. What I tend to do is I'll take breaks throughout my working day. So with my nine to five, if it's lunchtime over my lunch break, I might respond to some stuff uh, for my photography business or I might post some things. You know, actually scheduling is a really um, a really key thing for me as well. So I've been using, uh, I'm sure you're familiar with Hootsuite. Yeah, for um, sure. Uh, you know, other scheduling applications are available, but I, I've been using that a little bit, and and that's really helped me to manage my social, um, my social presence uh, and my social posts. Because what it does is, you know, it's kind of it's taking away that onus on me to be constantly thinking about what the next thing is going to be. So I can do that a week in advance. I can let that run. I can kind of monitor and respond to comments or likes or whatever it is, but I don't have to think about that on an ongoing basis. So it's kind of something that's sort of, you know, taken care of and, and automated as, as best it can be. Yeah, I love that. And and we actually talked about this yesterday on a Workflow Wednesday episode for the Boca podcast, but the significance of planning social media 
uh, all in a in a span of time, uh, an allocated again amount of time, segment of time in a day. Haley, who heads up our digital marketing and runs social media for us. I think Thursdays are her days where she plans out the next week. And the, the great thing about doing that very thing is that now you don't have to be distracted every single day thinking, oh, I've got to get another post or two or three posts up uh, and, and planning you know, the copy for that and finding just the perfect image and processing that and, and prepping it for posting to social media. If you have set aside a segment of time to do that very thing, you can schedule that out using something like Hootsuite or Buffer or otherwise. And then you can just kind of set it and forget it almost, which is a, a beautiful thing. I'm so curious, though, at what do you actually do, if you don't mind sharing, for your, your full-time job? And does that have any kind of tie to wedding photography? <laughs> Nothing. Okay. There is, there, so it is completely unrelated. Um, my full-time job, I, I, I work in uh, the property industry. Um, and uh, within that, I kind of work in and around systems and data. So, uh, you know, that sort of comprises what I do. Almost IT. Related IT, okay. Stuff. Okay. Well, yeah. I, I'm. This is really a, a great segue, though, into you mentioned mortgage specifically, but we'll just talk mm-hmm. about paying bills and and ultimately making a living. I mean, what what does this conversation look like in your head about making the transition from working the full time job, being in the corporate world, and trying to figure out what the next step is or steps are in order to get to the place where you're making a living through your photography, and you can make that transition to doing photography full time. Yeah. So that has been the uh, that's the single biggest thing that has been difficult to kind of break down and start to unpack because there's so many moving things within that. And I think one of the big things as well is that you know I've I've had almost a lifetime's worth of career doing something which is not the thing that I'm that I'm now striving towards. And so what that means is that you know I've, I've been very fortunate to be relatively successful in the work that I've done. And so you you kind of get to a point where to to make your side hustle, you know, my photography business, the thing which takes over from that uh, becomes more and more difficult because your your earning potential needs to be so much higher than perhaps it would have been 10 or 15 years ago. So, you know, with that, the responsibilities, of course, of, of mortgage and family and all of that stuff that comes with it, you need to be able to meet those. And so uh, it, it kind of makes the transition, I, I think, a little bit more difficult. So for me, it's been about saying, okay, well, how would this transition work besides just, you know, money? What does it mean to me to be able to to make that transition? And what would the kind of minimum look like that I would need to be bringing in to be able to make that a reality? And so, you know, I've been able to break that down. And I think that's the kind of, that's really been the starting point for me to say, okay, what's the goal look like to be able to make that transition? Yeah. And and that's, it's a very logical and pragmatic way to go about it. You know, there's been a lot of conversation in the industry about pricing. How do we price ourselves? And and photographers, a lot of times as they're getting started are are just kind of, they may be looking at competition or even just kind of making a stab in the dark, kind of guessing at, at what their starting price should be for a portrait session or for a wedding or for wedding uh, photography services. And the reality is it really should start at a very practical and pragmatic place, which is how much money do I need to make in order to, first of all, pay the bills, and then secondly, be able to put some money away in the bank or in investments or otherwise, and then maybe put some additional money away for you know the occasional vacation or two each year. And so now that you have those numbers, you're able to actually have, again, a very specific goal to work toward. And that should enable you to, first of all, decide a business model, which then, of course, drives the target 
client uh, and ultimately the price that you're charging that particular client in order to make those financial goals. Is that, does that relate in any way to the, 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 the kind of conversations that you're having with yourself in regards uh, to, to this? Totally. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. So, so what you've just touched on there is kind of exactly the, the kind of, you know, the discussion that I've been having with myself, which is, which is around, you know, how much do I want to be working? So do I want to be doing 50 weddings a year and then spend the rest of my time, uh, you know, editing photographs, you know, or, or, or sending those out to photographers edit. But <laughs> do, do I want to be investing that kind of time yeah. in, in that? Because actually what that takes me back to is some of the problems with the nine to five, which is that you're, you're always working. So actually, you know, trying to trying to balance in that pillar of I, I suppose of what I want to achieve which is having more time with family I need to be able to say okay well in order to price correctly I need to be doing less less wedding work so I need to be shooting less but I need to be charging more and finding that balance is very difficult especially as a new photographer because you're not established you don't have the portfolio you know you're not getting those those word of mouth referrals because you haven't you know shot that many weddings so right. For me, it's it's trying to figure out where that sweet spot is to break into the market. I know there's been a lot of discussion in the industry, you know, and I've I've listened to a lot of podcasts and spoken to a lot of a lot of colleagues about it as well. Which is, you know, should you do work for free? Should you heavily discount? How do you price yourself? And I think it's the challenge for everybody. I think everyone's just trying to figure it out. You know, even established photographers. It's true, yeah. And I think one of the things that enables the right move into uh, well, those various markets, whether it's a, kind of the mid level or moving up into the high le- high end, is not only awareness of the market at large, but even more specifically the local market. And then connections are really significant. You spoke to an effort at connecting with vendors earlier, and that really, really is important too, especially if you're moving into that mid to high end market. Uh, referrals are a significant source of business at that point. And if you're not connected to the right people, it's going to be tough to get business. Uh, most, uh, I, I would say that particularly in the high end, that that is true. And when I say high end, I know in the US market, about uh, 75 to 80% of weddings are photographed for $2,000 and less. And then the next uh, 10% or so are in that two to four range. And then in the, the seven, maybe 7% or so, I'm leaving a couple percentage points out there, but uh, is is in the top, so above the four uh, four grand range. And so, if you're going for that, you or any other photographer um, is reaching toward that segment of the market. Of course, the reality is that you know that you're competing with a um, a number of other photographers for a very very small segment of the market, and it's a little bit tougher to get in, get into it. And I, one of the things that I've said actually to to photographers here in in the U.S. market is. While high-end wedding photography is certainly appealing, and of course, you it, it, a lot of the desire to be involved in that segment of the market has to do with working less, there is a flip side, which is that 75 to 80% of the market is on the low end, and there is an opportunity, and I'm just going to plant a seed here for you, uh, Carrie, but there is an opportunity, too, to come up with a system that would enable not necessarily you to photograph, but maybe a team of photographers to photograph, you know, two, three, four hundred weddings a year, and, and to be able to actually go after what is the larger, and in some ways, the more lucrative segment of the market. So these are all things to, to be considering, and not, again, just specifically for yourself, but for, for photographers in general. Is there considering their business model, 
how much money they need to make um, based on their personal goals and, and business goals. Um, what segment of the market do they go after? It's a tough conversation, but I, it ultimately is driven by goals. And I love that that's where you're starting and you're, you're letting that drive your decisions. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, th- I think for me, you know, because I'm still working a full-time job, I do have the flexibility of being able to decide on a very bespoke and case-by-case basis what I'm going to charge. Yeah. And so while I may have a kind of starting price, that starting price may rise or it may drop depending upon you know my relationship, the way I'm feeling about uh, a given client and the way that I see this panning out. Is there another kind of non-monetary benefit that can be gained from doing this work? You know, that's, that's a consideration as well. And what is that worth and how can I bake that into a package? So for me at the moment, I'm, I'm able to kind of be pretty creative with with the way that i uh, i i price that's that's great but ultimately of course you've got to book clients you've got to get new clients yeah. new business and so that brings me to my my last question which is how you're going about actually doing just that um i'm, I'm curious what this process has looked like for you maybe what's worked what hasn't if you can share that with our listeners that'd be great sure sure so uh this this is without a doubt the biggest challenge you know is is trying to get inquiries and get clients through the door to be able to book them so for me you know there's a ton of different ways that I a lot of photographers doing it you know some have told me that facebook is the best thing that they have ever used and it's kind of generating a ton of inquiries for them and they're booking loads through that instagram is another so you know all the kind of social channels website inquiries going to wedding fairs these are the kind of things that obviously are out there but where do you spend that time so for me the question has been what am I going to do within that and and how should I do it so so far most of my inquiries have come from Facebook and Instagram aside from people that I've known so trying to leverage my existing network as well is a huge thing so you know we talk about word of mouth well actually I kind of already know some people so I need to put it out there um, and trying to you know you just never know who's going to be getting married or who knows somebody that could do a referral for you, um, even without portfolio. So that's been the kind of thing that has led to a couple of bookings for me. Aside from that, though, I, th- I think you know there's going to come a time pretty soon where I'm going to need to be thinking about what does my marketing strategy look like, and is that is that my own kind of social marketing or is that paid marketing? Um, and is it the case that I'm going to need to go to wedding fairs and try and set up stalls and stuff? Which for me, that's probably not the kind of area that I like or that I'm comfortable in that environment. But um, yeah, I, you know, it's, it's it's an open question really for me. So it's it started largely though with connections and have those connections been just in person? I mean, relationships with, with close family and friends that have led to opportunities to photograph or are you finding those connections through a social network or maybe a combination of the above? Colleagues. So colleagues is a great kind of resource really to use because people kind of know you and, and usually people are really happy to, uh, to, you know, to send your details across to people that they may know who are getting married. So that has been kind of a, the big key for me. Equally, uh, I suppose it's a little, it's a little guerrilla warfare. So this is kind of <laughs> a bit left of field here. But, you know, one thing that has led to, to booking for me, for one booking in particular, is, is going along to wedding fairs as a observer and not having your stall or anything like that and kind of approaching people who you can see are looking for, you know, for photographers. And, and, and that has been something that has led to booking for me. And actually I feel relatively comfortable in that, even though it's slightly outside of the norm and may not be um, something that, you know, certainly not the guys that would be setting up their stalls at the wedding fairs would want to be happening. But, uh, you know, for, for me, that's kind of been fine. And 
like I say, it's a little bit left of field. Why not, right? <laughs> I'll, I'll leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm curious, you mentioned Facebook ads, uh, connections, referrals uh, through connections in, in one form or another obviously play a big role in getting a business started. But Facebook ads are a really wonderful opportunity, at least at the moment, for getting new business. And I'm curious if that's something that you've explored at all or if it's something that you're just considering for the future. What does that look like for you? Yeah, so so Facebook ads is is definitely something that um, I have considered. I've run a couple on very, very low budget, um, which hasn't led to very much. I've spoken to some other photographers in the industry who have invested some significant money in doing that that has led to you know huge numbers of inquiries coming through and, and significant um, uplift in booking. So I think there's definitely value in it. I think it just depends on how much you want to invest in that as a platform. Yeah, I mean, I've I've heard pretty incredible numbers. In fact, we had Easton Reynolds back on episode 135. For those of you listening in, if you didn't get to listen to that episode with Easton, make sure that you do. And it'll kind of give you at least a bit of an idea of what it looks like to run a Facebook ad and how you might go about that process. But Easton has had the opportunity to uh, consult with various photographers in the industry. And, and he's talking about photographers spending you know, just $100 on an on, on ad spend and getting back thousands in revenue as a result. So right now, the ROI is pretty great. Those price oh. points are going to go up pretty significantly as more and more people begin to take advantage of that platform. But it's certainly a wonderful opportunity. There's a lot to learn. It's a big topic. And my suggestion would be for our listeners to, to go check out episode 135 of the Boca podcast with Easton Reynolds. Um, that'll kind of give you an intro and you, then you can link to uh, some of the resources that we reference in that episode as well. But yeah, interesting conversation. I We've certainly, even at Photographer's Edit, seen some pretty great success using the, the platform. And I think we're maybe, and I wouldn't say necessarily the early stages of the, the benefits of that platform at this point, but there's still wonderful opportunity out there. And it's a great opportunity to, uh, to, to book new business, especially for new photographers. Well, I, what, I'd like to, what I'd like to do here, just at, in closing, and, and I really appreciate you making time for the Boca podcast today, Carrie. It, would you mind sharing with our listeners where they can find you online, your website, social media, so they can kind of uh, not only follow your brand and, and your work now, uh, but see where you go from here? Sure, sure. I'd be happy to. So uh, it's pretty much the same on all my social channels, but Instagram is Kerry Murray Photography. Uh, Facebook is forward slash Kerry Murray Photo. And the web is www.kerrymurrayphoto.com. Perfect. Well, we'll make sure to link to those in the show notes, uh, as well as any of the other resources that uh, we've alluded to. But I really appreciate your your openness, your willingness to share with the Boca podcast, um, your learning experience. And I'm sure that that'll benefit our listeners as well. Uh, thank you so much for, for chiming in today. Well, you are so welcome. It's been my pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to the Boca podcast today. Will you let us know what you think by leaving a review of the podcast in iTunes or maybe in the Apple podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast, maybe suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My direct email is nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca podcast is brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. Thank you.